Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. One of the most gifted and anointed preachers to ever stand behind the sacred desk was Dale Yoakum. In this sermon preached in 1986 at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hobe Sound, Florida, he preaches a searching message titled, The Anguish of Almost. I know you're going to enjoy what you're about to hear. Keep passing it on and on. Psalm 73. Would you please stand with me for the reading of the word? Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, so ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? 
praise thee, O God, for the joy that has been ours in these days of your visitation again and again and again. We reverence thee tonight, Lord, for thy majesty. We can hardly wait for the day when it will be a reality. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We're so glad to have him reigning in our hearts tonight. But we recognize there are in this house people who have not surrendered their hearts to thee. They are serving sin. They are serving sense. They are serving the lusts of the flesh. They are following the trinkets of this world. They are lost for all eternity. Perhaps for some this will be their last best opportunity to repent and to be saved. Oh God, close in with us here tonight. We thank you for the burden in prayer, but may it increase throughout this service. May there be a settling down, a gripping of eternal seriousness. May every trifling, silly, foolish, provocative thought be put aside And may your word enter into our minds and into our hearts tonight. Oh, we cannot bear to see people go out from the holy place into the night, eternal night, forever to be lost. No more beautiful music, no more invitations, no more tears of praying saints, Christian fathers and mothers, night and death. An endless woe. The door is open tonight. Help some to press in for salvation, for deliverance. That their lives may be transformed by heavenly grace. And we'll give you the praise for it all in Christ's dear name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm speaking tonight about the anguish of almost. The anguish of almost. In verse 2, the psalmist said, My feet were almost gone. And he's in an anguish over it. He expresses that anguish in anguish in verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. I want to join one other verse to this. Acts 26, verse 28. The words of Agrippa to St. Paul, after Paul had preached to him, Agrippa was moved greatly by the Spirit of God, and he said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Here are two different almosts, but each one of them has its own anguish. The first is the anguish of a man who was almost lost and then saved. The second is a man who was almost saved and then lost. And both men were filled with anguish. The anguish of the almost. Let's look at these two. Almost lost but saved. This can happen in the natural realm. 
Brother Beckham spoke, I believe it was this morning, about a time when he was driving and just very narrowly missed a terrible accident. Had to park his car while he recovered control of himself. The agony of seeing how near I came to be entirely wiped out, but saved by a hair. That serious in the human, natural, physical realm, it's far more serious in the spiritual and eternal realm. And the psalmist is talking about an experience of his in the spiritual realm when he was almost swept clear away and lost. And he tells us the reasons why. The first reason that he mentions was because of his envy of the people of this present world. He got to looking at people. And he saw the people of this world and he came to a conclusion. The people of this world have what it takes to be really happy. They have prosperity, their eyes stand out with fatness, there are no struggles in their death, they prosper in this world, they don't labor under the burden of eternity, they don't labor under the necessity of separation, they don't face the cross or persecution or harassment, they're living it up and having a laughing good time of it, and he said, I was attracted by that vision. I was so foolish. I was like a beast, he said, but it really attracted me for a while. I saw the people of this world and I concluded they've got what it really takes. That's real living. These queens for a day, oh, aren't they? They've really got it made. They're so happy. They're so popular. They're so pretty. They're so exciting. Oh, I want to go that they've got really what it takes to make life worthwhile. My friend, he wasn't the last one that's been attracted in that direction. There are millions of them today right out of our churches, right out of our homes that are coming to the same conclusion. That's where it really is. They have money. They have the fast life. They have popularity. They have clo- Look at their clothes. Aren't they cute? They've got it made. And they don't have to worry about the things that burden me, sin and repentance, and you can't do this, and you can't go there. They do whatever they want to do and feel perfectly good about it. Why do I deny myself? Why do I want to be different? Why do I pay the price of bearing a cross when the world is so happy having what they want, feeling so good about it? I think I've told you here once before about a young lady who was in our school in Overland Park. I heard that she had decided to drop out of school and just go out in the world and have her fling. I said that certainly couldn't be true of her. But I located her and inquired. She said, yes, sir, Brother Yoakum. I've been brought up in a strict home. They've told me what I had to do, and I've done it in my heart. I've looked at the world, and I know they've got something that I want. My parents wouldn't let me have it, but I'm away from home now, and I'm going to have it. I reasoned with her. I pleaded with her. Nothing would turn her around. She had her eyes fixed upon the glitter and the fun and the 
all of the attractions of this present world. But as a final entreaty, I said to her, supposing somebody would come this very hour and offer you a thousand dollars to spend for anything you want, but in the bargain, you're losing your soul forever. You wouldn't sell your soul for that, would you? She said, I sure would. I'm selling it for nothing. I'm not getting a thousand dollars, but I'm getting, I'm getting the world. I'm going that way. And she did. Well, I could tell you tonight she's had a wretched, miserable life of it. Sorrow on top of sorrow for her little fling that was so very, very costly. And she's lost, lost, lost today. But it doesn't matter how many people go sweeping in screams of anguish over the precipice into hell. Every new generation looks at the same fascination. The blinding power of the God of this world and are taken into the net, the attraction of the glitter of this present age. It wouldn't be so bad if the attraction were all out there in the world. But the most subtle part of it is that this attraction is permeating the so-called church of Jesus Christ. My dear friends, this is where it becomes most deadly of all when this spirit just creeps right into the church and the church as a whole begins to shift off in this direction. Let's enjoy the things of this world. Let's incorporate it into the program of our church and we can bring in a far greater congregation of excited people. I'm not making this up. It's right here in the psalm. In verse 1, he said, Truly God is good to Israel, even such as are of a clean heart. And those two groups are not the same. There were lots of people in Israel that didn't have a clean heart. They had already compromised with idolatry. They had already slipped away from the true God to false gods and still called themselves the people of God, the Israel of God. Or look at the close of this psalm, verse 27. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a warring from thee. People who have left God and committed fornication with the gods of this world. God has marked them for destruction. This is a part of the problem in his day, and it's certainly a great part of the problem in our day. I've preached a series of messages some on the church in the end of the age. What an appalling picture it is that Jesus portrays and St. Paul portrays about what the church is going to be like in the end of the age. My dear friend, everybody in the house, I challenge us to get down our Bibles and study the picture of the church in the end of the age. It looks to me like as close as we are coming to the end of time, we want to know by the Bible what the dangers are. And do you know what one of the greatest dangers of all is? It's this subtle shift away from white, hot, sanctifying, purifying love of God 
gradual shift to the toys and attractions and compromises of this present world. It's absolutely deadly, my friend. And with the warnings of the Bible right there before us, we're seeing more and more and more people slip along this way. And Jesus said the shift would finally take in the majority of professing Christians. We're not far from that point today. He said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of the majority shall wax cold. Just because sin and compromise is so popular and so common, the most people are going to be swept along, just carried along with the stream and making reconciliation with the gods of this world and call themselves Christians. I preached to you Monday night about the church at Ephesus. That's the beginning of a spectrum, and Laodicea is the end of that spectrum. Those were all churches of that day, but I believe they represent a spectrum, perhaps through the church ages to the end. There was a tiny, tiny little particle, a little stain of evil working in the church at Ephesus. I just want to point out some more of these churches quickly here tonight. By the time we come to Thyatira, the church at Thyatira, it's a popular church. It's a growing church. It's the kind that really has sparkle and appeal today. It's a growing church. Jesus said, your latter end is greater than your beginning. You've put on growth. You've enlarged yourself. And people are attracted by a growing church. They want something that's booming, that's growing, that's getting alert. And I'd like to see our churches grow. I believe we can under God. But increase in size by itself is no way to measure the effectiveness of a church. For Jesus said, you've got Jezebel teaching a class in your church. And he said, I want you to know I am the one that searched the churches. I am the one that makes the evaluations of the church. My dear friend, it doesn't matter a whit how you evaluate a church just because it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The thing that really counts is how Jesus evaluates this church. And if you don't equal his evaluation, you may be going straight to hell through the portals of a church. If you don't know what Jesus evaluates this church to be, They had Jezebel in there. She was still in a minority. But she was having a growing influence. Jesus said, I have warned her to repent and she refused to repent. She wouldn't back down on her. You know who Jezebel was. She was the one that brought in the world into the church. With her painted eyes and her painted faces and her decorations around her head. She represents the spirit of the age coming right into the church. Jesus said, I will kill her offspring with death. Anybody she touches is dead. Anybody that follows her doctrine is dead. It really doesn't matter how big the church comes. People that are following the Jezebel spirit, God has marked them off for death, my dear friends. Then we go on to the church at Sardis, and that's an appealing church. It has a name that it liveth. It's a lively church. I mean, things are alive at Sardis, Brother French. 
They've got an exciting program from every age, from the kids clear up to the seniors. I mean, they've got a throbbing program going in there. Things are lively at Sardis. Oh, that's attractive. People want excitement and games and parties and all the trappings of excitement that minister to carnal hearts, worldly minds. Oh, I think I'll go to Sardis. Jesus said to Sardis, you have a name that you live, but you're dead. And in Sardis, this element is in the great majority he said, I want you to strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. There's only a little element that's really alive still in Sardis. The process of death, this creeping, deadly process of letting the world seep into the church has, has advanced until in Sardis it's taken the majority. It's in control. There's just a little element in here that's still alive. And Jesus called them to repentance. He said, if there's no repentance, I'm going to cast you. I'm going to come as a thief, and you won't know when I come. And those who don't know when Jesus comes will be left behind. We go to the church at, Tri at Laodicea, and there's no life there at all. It's a popular church. It's the most popular of all of them. It's a church that has warmth about. Lukewarm is not cold. Lukewarm is comfortable. Lukewarm is warm. Laodicea has warmth of success. Man, this church is, isn't, I mean, it's in the top ten. We're fast becoming the top one. The pastor of Laodicea is wanted all over the country to tell the story of his success program. He's brought Laodicea up until it rates the top headlines in the religious press. I mean, there's no, no church quite like Laodicea. They don't need anything to make them a success. We don't have need of anything. We have warmth of togetherness. I mean, you come into Laodicea and you can feel the warmth. Of oh, I love the warmth of this place. It's a popular church. It's doing things. It's going places. Are you hearing me tonight? Because this is what's appealing to a lot of our precious young people. I want to be where the action is. I want to be in a growing church, a lively church that has programs from every age that gets us excited about our church. Laodicea is not whining about how things are in the church. They're excited about what's going on in their church. We are rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. But they're absolutely blind to what Jesus thinks about them. He said you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You don't have anything at all. I'm asking us here tonight, friends, as we look around at the churches we want to attach ourselves, are we going by our human, natural estimation of things, or have we found Jesus' estimate of things? You better seriously consider slipping away from the old-fashioned church to something that's streamlined and modern and has the hip-hip-hooray approach until you find what Jesus thinks about it. 
the church at the end of the age. Laodicea is a church with Jesus on the outside. Clear on the outside. And they don't know it. They don't know the difference. They don't seem to care. Oh, this drift. My dear friend, this awful vortex, that sucking, sucking, what is it? Oh, it's the appeal of this world. It's not so bad after all. Let's join it with the church. Let's just discover that really after all, the world isn't so bad. It's movies, it's games, it's toys, it's adornments, it's fun, it's a standard of uh, success. Uh, you know, it's not so bad after all. Jesus said it would be that way. But he said, he that endureth to the end is the one that shall be saved. Not the one that shifts and slips and moves and makes concessions, but the one that stands firm to the end is the one that's going to be saved. That's what Jesus said. There's another reason why the psalmist almost missed it, and that was because of the troubles of the righteous. In verse 14, he said, All the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. While the world out there is having it so fine, I'm suffering. It seemed like I have a new burden every morning. A new cross to bear, a new reproach, a new assault from the enemy. Surely I have washed my hands in innocency. That means when I made my change to be converted, I was a simpleton. To give up so much that the world has, to get what? Pathway of cross-bearing, pathway of suffering, pathway of reproach. Surely I made a mistake. When I decided to go this way, oh, he said, I can't bear the thought if I would tell that to my children. How would they ever endure it? Well, it is true. God lets his people suffer a lot. There have been more martyrs for the name of Jesus Christ in this present century than in all previous centuries put together. Did you know that? There are people this very night as we are gathered together who are languishing in prisons and they've been there and they're pretty well forgotten by the rest of the world. And they may be saying, Lord, how long, how long, how long? And the Lord lets them suffer. People who have had their eyes gouged out, their tongues cut off, and all kinds of horrible mistreatments And the Lord lets it happen. Why? Well, he does it for at least two reasons. I believe he does it in order to demonstrate that saints in their darkest valleys have more to sing about than the world on their highest mountaintops. Hallelujah. Did you know that the sweetest songs ever written have been written by saints in dark valleys? Blind ones, blind saints, dear Fanny Crosby. It is well with my soul, written by a man who had just lost his daughters in the sinking of a ship, when sorrows like sea billows roll, it is still well with my soul. 
Saints can keep shouting in the dark valleys, and I challenge us, friends, let's keep on our praises. Don't let them die on our lips. The most powerful conviction that comes to people of the world is watching the saints of God under trial, still sweet, still shining, still praising God. They can't do that. The world can't substitute for that. That's supernatural. Praise God in the midst of the fires. And then another reason why God lets it happen is because he knows that in eternity the reward is going to be multiplied according to how much we've endured for Jesus' sake. He lets the pressures come in mercy. Did you know that? He lets the pressures come in mercy because he knows if we endure it cheerfully for his sake, it's going to multiply our eternal reward. And if one degree of suffering in this world means a thousand degrees of glory in the world to come, I say, praise God for that one degree of suffering. Well, hallelujah, it's working for me. You know, Paul used the law of the lever. When Paul was writing, the law of the lever was just a brand new discovery. And Paul liked to put natural things to work, so he used the law of the lever. You know, the lever you press down on one end and it lifts up a load on the other side. He said, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for me a far greater and exceeding and eternal weight of glory on the other side. This light pressure here is a great uplift of glory on the other side. So he said, praise God for the pressures. Praise God for these light afflictions that are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let's suffer sweetly. Let's not whine and pine when we are under pressure and under misrepresentation. Let's just go on singing. Let's go on praising the Lord. That's a good witness for Christ, and that's a good investment in the world to come. But he tells us, in this psalm, how he was saved when he was almost lost. My feet had almost slipped, he said, and then he tells us how he was recovered. The recovery began one day when he went into the sanctuary of the Lord. I went into the sanctuary of God. You know, if you stay out there immersed in the world long enough, you will begin to think and evaluate things like they do in spite of yourself. If you just allow yourself to keep immersed among the people of the world, the reading material of the world, the preoccupations of the world, you are forced to begin to think like they do. It's absolutely vital, friends, that ever so often, I mean ever so often, we get back into the sanctuary of God and see the reality of His glorious presence. I've been in secular philosophy classes. I took one whole year of philosophy, nothing else. Thirty straight hours of philosophy in a secular institution. And I know what I'm talking about. You can stay in that atmosphere so long that your thinking begins to be affected in that direction. But I thank God for a little praying church that God let me be a pastor of. And I'd get back in red-hot prayer meetings and have to dig in God's Word. 
And ever so often I had a fresh vision of the reality of God and I wasn't swept off of my feet by all of the secularism. You can begin to think when you're just out there in the world all the time, well, I guess after all they've got it put, it, put together pretty well. But one night in the... with his glory breaking in upon us. And you know, that's not where it is. This is where reality together pretty well. But one night in the... with his glory breaking in upon us. And you know, that's not where it is. This is where reality is. Put together pretty well. But one night in the sun. But with his glory breaking in upon us. And you know that's not where it is. This is. But one night in the sun. with his glory breaking in upon us and you know that's not where it is this is where we pretty well but one night in the but with his glory breaking in upon us and you know that's not where it is this is where we pretty well but one night in the sun. But with his glory breaking in upon us, and you know that's not where it is. This is. But one night in the sun. with his glory breaking in upon us and you know that's not where it is but one night in the sun but with his glory breaking in upon us and you know that's not where it is this is where reality is my dear friends hallelujah it's not out there that's a mirage that's a blinding spell of the enemy. This is where it is, where God comes down my soul to grief and glory crowns the mercy seat. That's why, that's why I want to see us keep the glory on us, friends. You know, it's sheer worldliness to want to bring the level of the church down until it's a well-regulated, humanly controlled, humanly organized, human program that's of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The church is a place for God to be revealed to his people. It's not a talent show. It's not a bazaar. It's a heaven. It's the gate of heaven. It's a place where God comes down. I thank God then in a little country church when I was a teenage boy 
We didn't have electric lights. We didn't have even very good quality lights of any kind. We had the old wheezing, seizing, gas pump-up lights. Sometimes they were bright, and sometimes they were dark, and sometimes they were huffing and puffing in between. But oh, there were times in that country, and it wasn't even finished. It was rough, boards, unfinished, no ceiling in it, no carpet on the floor, no padding on the pews, handmade benches, but the glory was there. I remember times as a boy when it seemed to me like it was brighter than the noonday sun. There it was dark night and just these little huffing, puffing lights in the place. But God was there. Man, you could never persuade me in anybody's philosophy class that this is nonsense. God was in the house. God was there. But I refuse to sell it out for the trinkets and the toys and the compromises of this present world. I've seen God in his house. My friend, you can sell out if you want to. You can join the Jezebel crowd if you want to. I want Christ. I want the glory. I want the power of the living Christ. Praise God forever. Keep the glory on, friends. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, ten minutes of the glorious visitation of the Almighty is more convincing than a thousand lectures. God is here. God Almighty is in the place. Let's keep it that way, friends. And I'm asking you, if God isn't visiting your church with glorious manifestations of His power and conviction, I mean the glory of God, you better rethink your changes, my dear friend. I went into the sanctuary, and then I understood some things. Things began to come clear in the sanctuary. They were getting all fogged up in the midst of the world with their tinkets and their tinkets and their toys. I began to be confused. I was as a beast, so foolish. Oh, but in the sanctuary, things became clear. I saw God. Yes, glory! Then he said, I understood their end. Oh, in the sanctuary, I came to the conclusion they, that's not where it is. Oh, they're following a bubble. They're following a mirage. They're on a slippery place, and their feet are going out from under them in an instant. And they'll go down without warning. Here's what he says. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They're utterly consumed with terrors. Thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou didst cast them down to destruction. 
They walk so nimbly, and they're so proud, and they're so pretty. But in a moment of time, they'll be gone and gone forever. I understood their end. My dear friend, the end of the compromisers is not a happy end. The people who've sold out for the fun and the trinkets and the toys and the makeup and the goo-gaws, they talk about their freedom and their new liberty and how great our church is. Yes, Laodicea is mighty great. But in the end, anguish and woe forever and forever. I understood their end. I was in Peoria, Illinois a while back, and I made some inquiry about uh, Winnie Ruth Fennell. I'm interested in her story. If anybody can give me information to fill it in, I'd be glad to get it. Winnie Ruth Fennell was the daughter of a free Methodist pastor in Peoria, Illinois. I recently talked to an old man that knew her, knew her father, knew the church and the family. He said Winnie Ruth had a call to be a missionary to China, I believe. And there were times in the church that she was under a spell of conviction and she would come down and get almost to the place of surrender. But oh, to think of leaving my friends and going off to that foreign country so far away, so dark. She'd almost get through it, but she'd back away, and then she would get with her worldly friends, and she'd be pulled in that direction. Back in the house of God, she was pulled in this direction. Back out there, she was pulled in that direction. She didn't settle the issue for a long time, and it just about rent her mind this under. As a matter of fact, she began to lose her mind in this perpetual, unsettled state. She decided she would marry a Dr. Judd. And she became Winnie Ruth Judd, by which name she is more commonly known. There was a terrible murder. Some people say that she committed it. Some people say that her husband committed it and she confessed to save him. At any rate, there was a horrible murder and she was apprehended and put in prison. Because her mind was so nearly gone, she was put in a medium security prison and several times she escaped. I guess, as far as I know, she's still alive. One of those times that Winnie Ruth Judd escaped from prison, the law enforcement officers came in pursuit, and they finally found her out in the desert of Arizona, crawling along in the sand on hands and knees. And when they came upon her, Winnie Ruth Judd was saying, I'm looking for China. I'm looking for China. The end isn't pretty. The appeal was there. I want money. I want men. I want this world. I'm looking for China. I want God's way now. But it's too late. Adoniram Judson was the son of a great preacher. But he went to college and began running with the worldly set. He gave up his faith in God. One of his closest friends was a total skeptic and agnostic, a mocking disbeliever. At a holiday time, Adoniram was traveling and he came into a rather cheap hotel, put up for the night. While he was trying to sleep, he heard in the room next to him 
some awful groaning as of a man in great misery. And at first he became alarmed, and then he braced himself and said, Oh, I must not let this affect me, so my college friend would mock at me if he saw me trembling like a woman. So he braced himself and finally went to sleep and paid no more attention. In the morning he checked out at the hotel desk, and the proprietor apologized for the noise, the disturbance in the room next to him, and Adoniram said, Oh, it didn't bother me too much. He said, what happened to the man? The proprietor said, oh, didn't you know he died there last night? And Adoniram said, well, what was his name? And the manager gave him the name, and it was the name of his best college friend, that blatant skeptic who couldn't face death. He was horrified. He was overwhelmed with the confrontation of death, but he faced it anyway, and he died. Adoniram Judson was shaken to the soles of his boots. I've been following a big lie. And he began to turn things around and became that noble missionary to Burma. Are you listening to me, friends? I'm talking to a lot of people who are following that same bubble. I want this world, and I'm going to have it. I'm going to trim, and I'm going to cut, and I'm going to let down, and I'm going to take on, and I'm going to modify and mold right into this age. Psalmist was almost taken by that, but he said, I, I saw their end. And it's not a pretty end. And there are some people right here that are almost gone. You've almost sold out. I thank God you're here tonight because God is speaking. God wants to save you from that. I want to tell you the story of Ron Swearingen. I thought last Sunday night Brother Beckham was telling the story of Ron Swearingen, but he wasn't. Ron Swearingen was a boy living in central Missouri. His father was a holiness preacher. He had a, an athletic scholarship to go to college. He went to Harmony Hill Youth Camp. Many other young people were seeking God, but not Ron. His response to the appeal of the Holy Spirit was, I don't need you today, God. I've got everything going for me now. I've got an athletic scholarship. Things are going fine. I'm well. I'm strong. I'm young. I've got lots of time, and I want this athletic scholarship, Lord. I don't need you today. He didn't go when the rest of them went. Later on, a few months later on, he was in another meeting, gospel meeting, and again the Spirit of God mightily moved upon his heart, and he said the same thing, I don't need you today, God. I've got everything going for me that I need now. That very same night, he went out of the church in his car to go home, and three of his school friends met him in their automobile, and he recognized them. They crowded him off the road. His car went rolling down over an embankment, and he was in a coma for over six months. Just like that, when Brother Beckham told about people were praying all over the country for Ron Swearingen, a holiness preacher's boy that was unsaved and not ready to meet God. There were prayers at his bedside. There were prayers in homes all across the country. The father, in this case especially, was the one who went to the bedside and took preachers with him, took praying people with him, and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. 
And about the same diagnosis came for Ron Swearingen. He'll probably never regain consciousness. And if he does, he'll be a basket case the rest of his life. But one day when Brother Swearingen, the father, and another pastor were praying at the bedside, the other pastor and Brother Swearingen were praying and said to Ron, Ron, if you're hearing us pray, would you raise your hand? And Ron feebly raised a finger or two and let them know he was responding. They said, Ron, if you want Jesus to come into your heart, would you raise your hand again? And a finger was feebly raised. And they prayed and prayed. He went on in a coma for some more weeks. But when I was in a camp meeting about two years ago, I was giving an appeal. Hardly anybody was coming. Ron Swearingen asked for his dad to roll him in his wheelchair right up on the platform. And from the platform on the wheelchair, he said, Young people, you may think you've got it made, but your dreams can be burst in a split second of time. Ron Swearingen, would you listen to me? I was one of those that thought I could make it without God. But our breath is in His hands. Our life is in His hands. Our heartbeat is in His hands. Would you listen to me, he said, and not play the fool that I played of thinking I've got lots of time to get ready to meet the Lord. Ron is living for Jesus today. After that testimony, I got with Ron privately and asked him about some of his experiences. He said, while I was in that coma, I went down that long tunnel that Dr. Maurice Rawlings describes in his book, Beyond Death's Door, that so many people experience who have a death experience. He said, I went down that long tunnel, that long dark valley, and I came to the parting of the ways. And I saw a region of appalling, horrifying darkness on one side, but I saw the brightness of heavenly glory on the other side with gleaming stairs leading up to the throne. And he said, I made my choice. I want to go this way. But he said, I couldn't climb those stairs. And just then he said, I heard a voice saying, Ron, do you want Jesus to come into your heart? If you do, raise your hand. And he said, I put up my fingers. When I saw the difference between hell and heaven, the appeal of an athletic scholarship didn't amount to the snap of your finger, my dear friend. When I saw the parting of the ways, hell or heaven, the appeal of a girlfriend doesn't amount to a bubble. Oh, that we could learn it while we're in the house of the Lord. Oh, that some of you could learn it while you're sitting there where you are. All that's appealing to you, this glitter of the world, will look like dust and ashes when you come to the end of the way, my dear friends. But in a few moments, I want to look to the other side of this story. The man who was almost saved, but lost. King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The anguish of being almost saved and then lost. There's the anguish of seeing what we've missed. Jesus said... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 
entering into the kingdom of God and you shut out? Did you know that the last vision you have before you go away to hell with your toys, the last vision is going to be of the saints going up to heaven and getting their eternal reward. And you'll see what they got for what they gave. And then you'll recognize what you got for what you wouldn't give up. You'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I got so thrilled about this wonderful song down here, The Lord God Omnipotent Reigneth. It just kind of swept over me what it's going to be like when we get to glory. We'll have a choir bigger than this one. I tell you, the Lord God Omnipotent Reigneth. You sinners, you whirlings are going to hear the choir sing. And you're going to hear the saints shout the praises, the high praises of God Almighty. Because they triumphed and they made it forever. And I think Richard Beckham's going to lead the tenor section and Rosemary Basham the sopranos. I hope it's that way. And then you're shut out. Yes, really, shut out. What are you getting that's worth that? What are you getting that's worth that? You're going to see what you missed. And then you're going to see what you get. You're going to see what you get for playing with the world, living for the toys and the trinkets, making playthings in the sand, painting little dollhouses, little play games, Idle chatter, fun and games and frolic and lust for a little while. Because you're going by feeling. You're going to go by feeling when you get to hell too. You're going to go by feeling forever and it won't feel good. Anguish. Eternal woe. Because you wanted to go by feeling, God's going to let you go by feeling. Forever. He said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Feeling, brother, feeling. Because I want my playthings. I want this present world. Finally, you're going to see how close, how close you came to the kingdom and how narrowly you missed it. And that's the greatest anguish of all. I almost made it. I was in Hope Sound Camp on February the 16th, 1986, and the Spirit of God was moving in my heart, and the fullers were singing. Oh, I remember it. I remember it. And God spoke to my heart again, and I felt like I ought to go, but I remembered my friends, and I said, no, not today. And that was my last call. I almost moved. We know now, friends, it's been proven scientifically that when you leave this body and go out to eternity, all the memories of all of your life are going to come flooding right back over you. All of them. And you are going to see, this has been proven scientifically, you're going to see as vividly as you're seeing it right now, this whole service of Hope Sound Canyon. You're going to hear again every word I'm saying. We know this to be true. It's locked away in our memory. 
And it doesn't go with the body to the grave. It goes with the spirit to heaven or to hell. The writer of Proverbs said wisdom was speaking. He said, because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no man regarded. I will mock. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. That isn't God speaking. That's wisdom speaking. That's the mockery of every Bible verse you ever learned. That's the mockery of every Bible verse you ever learned, every sermon you ever heard that's locked away in your subconscious, but it's going to be unlocked when you go to eternity. And you'll hear again, you'll be walking down the aisle and almost to the altar. And then remember, oh no, I'm not at Hope Sound, I'm in hell. And you'll hear the verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we might not perish, might not perish, might not perish, might not perish. Oh, that broken record, might not perish. But I am perish. Might not perish. Might not perish. God sola, you'll hear it again, and hear it again, and hear it again. Well, oh, I want to go. No, it's too late. In your tortured mind, you'll be running to the altar and getting almost there a thousand times, a million times over in the torture of your mind. And then wake, no, I'm not at Hope Sound Camp. I'm in hell. But I've got wonderful news for you. You are in Hope Sound Camp tonight. You're not in hell yet. And there's time enough to get up and get moving. Friends, you dear, dear, precious friends that are under the spell of the devil, and some of you are nudging the one next to you, let's keep laughing. Let's just keep laughing and giggling and get outside, and we'll soon cease feeling this way. And you sure will. The spirit's spell of conviction will soon be gone. And if he doesn't come back, you're gone forever. You're going to have to move while he's moving, or you're lost, my friend. I was in northwest Pennsylvania for a revival not long ago, and right while we were there in the city of Erie, there was a terrible fire in a dwelling house. Three little children were in an upstairs room. The parents were downstairs and couldn't reach the children. Fire broke out downstairs and blocked off the passageway up. Those children sensed something was wrong, and they went to a window, broke out the window, crawled out on a flat roof. People from the community began to gather and call for the children to jump. They didn't have a ladder. The flames were just devouring the inside of this house. Those three children stood huddled, clasped together on that flat rooftop over a porch. And the people said, jump, jump. No, they didn't feel like jumping. It's risky to jump. No, we feel better right here. And they supported each other. The three of us are together and There's risk in jumping, but the parents were screaming and the neighbors were crying, Jump! You'll die! You'll die! Well, they didn't feel death. They didn't feel any fire. They didn't jump. They just stayed there and watched the excitement below. And the flames gutted the place and the roof fell in and the children were devoured in their flames. If they'd only leaped, they could have been saved. They didn't feel a fire. They supported one another. They died 
in the flame. You like to sit with sinners, don't you? You like to sit with somebody that smiles when you smile and will nudge you back when you nudge them to try to shake off this spell of the Holy Ghost. What are you going to say to them in eternity? Thank you for nudging me on that Sunday night, dear friend. Thank you for nudging me on to hell. It's time to be serious, my dear friend. The anguish of the almost. I almost made it on that last night of Hope Sound Camp, but I somebody smiled at me, and I couldn't take it. I stayed there and went to hell and thought I was smart in doing so. I'm glad the door is open tonight. I'm glad the Spirit of God is here tonight. And I want you to come. Whether anybody else comes with you or not, I want you to come and settle this forever. I'm going to take the glory pathway all the way to heaven. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. That has been passed. I don't want to lose the fight. I don't want to lose the fight.